0: Let's take up our Bibles this morning, this resurrection morning, Easter Sunday. Let's look to the book of Hebrews. In truth, I see no reason to depart from the book of Hebrews, for at any place I could preach an Easter sermon. It is Christological from beginning to end. And perhaps it's even more important to preach from Hebrews more often than simply going back to the Gospels, because this is, this is one of the greatest sermons declaring to Christ's own people, the Hebrews, the elevated, exalted, majestic, and superior role of Jesus Christ over all who have ever come before And firmly ensconces him as both son of God, God himself, and the great high priest of Israel and of all who would believe. He is here on these pages. And this Sunday, we will learn of him. So turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And follow along as I read, beginning in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet... Without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray together. Father God, sanctify this message for your purpose. Lord God, glorify yourself with your word. Please honor and elevate your Son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts and in our eyes and in our lives. Embolden us who believe to approach you according to your invitation. And Lord, Lead us with your High Priest, Jesus, to come into your presence for mercy and grace in time of need. For thus you came, and thus you still do, enabling us to do what we do today, to glorify you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Entitled the sermon for this morning, Finding Something Special on Easter Sunday. Finding something special on Easter Sunday, subtitle, and I don't mean blank blank. What could I be meaning? Finding something special on Easter Sunday, and I don't mean Easter baskets, Easter eggs, or Easter bunnies. Something special. Something enduring. Something real. Something beyond the expectations of every Hebrew until Christ. Perhaps until they first read this message from the book of Hebrews, an unexpected find. A special something to find. We've been looking at jesus christ who is identified on the pages of the book of hebrews as the great high priest not any old high priest in the line of levi but a special one one above all others and the hebrews who read this are called upon to consider him chapter 3 verse 1 It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. When I first read those words, I realized that what I confess, what I know to confess about Jesus the high priest needs to be broadened. Why would he put that there? if they and then we don't need to expand our view of Jesus unto his role as the great high priest. Jesus died on a cross. This is historical. Jesus died sacrificially on that cross in our place, in the place of all who would believe on him, Bearing the weight of God's punishment. He was put into a grave. And three days later, he rose. We need to find something special at Easter and that Jesus is not still hanging on a cross. Nor is he still imprisoned in a tomb. He's risen again. But to do what? Be some sort of a bumper sticker for us to carry around on our cars? Be some sort of little friend that we carry around in our pocket and trot out when we need something? To be a symbol we wear around our necks, but we are not sure what it really means. The high priest... Jesus, I'll proclaim to you today. Knowing Jesus as your high priest is an essential for the approach to God. You may not approach God-very God, God-holy God, God-glorious God, 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 and live without a great high priest. It cannot be done. We're reading a book written to Hebrews and the Hebrews have a history. Their history begins with Abraham being called from Ur of the Chaldees to be a follower of God, very God. God covenants with Abraham to make him a people to make him a nation, and to give him a land, and in that land of promise, in that land of rest, to give them a purpose, to proclaim God, very God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to all peoples. And he gave them the law of Moses to distinguish them from all the other peoples on the face of the earth, and to inculcate in them over the time period of hundreds of years an approach unto himself for before, for before the law of Moses, God did not dwell with men. God could not be seen by men. Even Moses, when he asked to see God, God had to hide him in the cleft of a rock. He had to pass by and let the lingering, blazing glory pass by so that he did not die from it. Yet God came to dwell with men. And in his dwelling with men, it was singular. It was one day, per year, one man of all Israel in that year, on that day, specially adorned, specially prepared with something in his hands, a sacrifice for his own sin and for Israel's sin the one-day, one-time approach to the holy God where he would be the singular one to view the Ark of the Covenant, to see the mercy seat of God, the two cherubim with their wings spread out over the Ark and the glory of God above. He would see it. No one else. Let me read to you from Exodus. The law of God to Moses. The preparations of the tabernacle. Which, by the way, is to be understood as a tabernacle of meeting. Where men can go to meet with God. A singular special event in history. In Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31, here are the instructions from God to Moses for making something that separates God from men. Listen. You, God says to Moses, shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Cherubim are the presence angels of God. It is to be a sign, it is to be symbolic of the real presence of God in heaven, wherein, as Ezekiel saw the Lord in his glory in a vision, and the cherubim surrounding him, creatures of great wonderment. You shall make a veil with an artistic design of cherubim. And by the way, that confirms that God uses art. That's a freebie right there. Verse 32 You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the claps. Then you shall bring. The Ark of the Testimony in there, behind the veil. Now, I want you to pay attention very carefully right now. God says to Moses, The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. A divider. A separation, a distancing, a number of reasons, but two we can highlight. One, for your protection. God knows His glory is deadly to fallen man, and He protects man from His glory. Two, for teaching. For teaching man to approach holy God appropriately, according to his strictures. It's called reverence. Reverence, a thing we need to relearn today. That's why Hebrews is an important place to teach. But let me read on in Exodus chapter 26 and now verse 34. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony of the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil, outside the veil, and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. Brothers and sisters, An Israelite would live his entire life, his whole life, even his life of great commitment, great adherence to the word of God, to the law of God, and never, and never, and never see the mercy seat of God, and never see the glory of God, and never see the majesty of God. He's divided from it. He's divided from it. Such is the importance of keeping God's law that when the first two priests, the first two priests, sons of Aaron, went in to offer to God incense that failed to get his recipe correct, God killed them. They brought in what the Bible says in Leviticus was profane fire, a type of incense in their incense burner that was not of the correct combination of the spices according to God's command. They came in flippantly. They came in without paying attention to details, not according to the command of God. We must understand these things. Israel knew them. Israel lived on them. Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. Let's learn what the Hebrews all knew. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, listen to me, after the death of the two sons of Aaron. I have a feeling Aaron was paying close attention and so was all of Israel as to how it was even a priest was to approach him. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. See, that's about all you get said about you when you do that with the Lord. That's, that's them in history. They offered profane fire before the Lord and died. The end. Verse 2 And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come, not to come at simply any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place, listen, with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments, therefore he shall wash his body with water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Even the high priest on his one-time visit into that holy place could not go in normally. Though there were high priestly vestments that he would wear on a daily basis, not on this day. On this day, the one day when he's allowed to enter the holy presence of God, he's dressed in white, white linen, purity. And he must wash himself and prepare himself specifically according to the plan and purpose of God before he ever dare enter and not empty-handed, but with the appropriate sacrifice that God declared were to be offered on that day, lest you die. It is one thing for us to sing, Our God is an awesome God. He reigns, and not understand awesome. It is inappropriate. It is not reverential. That's why God wrote Hebrews. That. Forces us back to the Old Testament, lest we become flippant. I want you to skip down to verse 11 in chapter 16, Leviticus, and listen to these words. God says again, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense, listen now, on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony. Why? lest He die. Another veil, even coming into the holy place, He goes behind the veil that history tells us was most likely about four inches thick to prevent the glory shine of God from escaping. And when He enters, even appropriately and rightly, He needs a smoke screen, lest He die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on his, uh, with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Without time to move into it, let me just say, there's danger that all Israel knew before the throne of God. Before the mercy seat of God Though it's merciful, one cannot come without the appropriate heart attitude and adherence to God's methodology. Some of you might be saying now, oh, I'm so glad I came for Easter Sunday. Where's the great Easter message? Jesus rising from the dead. Why are we dealing with God killing people in the holy place? Let me say you'll never understand Easter if you don't understand your Hebrew Bible, if you don't understand why he was there with a sin offering. Mark the gospel. Mark the gospel brings us a tie-in, brings us a connection, which I will not make now. I'll just read it. Mark 15, verse 34. Mark 15, verse 34. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And at the ninth hour verse 34 Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani my God my God why hast thou forsaken me why god why why thou forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. They said, With scorn. Our text this morning says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are real times of need for every Christian. Real times where only God can help. When those times come, we must go where we are guaranteed to find something special. Grace. Grace to help in time of need. And in Hebrews, that place we discover is the throne of grace. And the way before that throne is found only, is found only is found only by having the great high priest by your side, Jesus, the Son of God. The way of approach is not open to you alone without a great high priest. The ministry of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Are you looking for something special this Easter? What do you want to find? The Hebrew word that is used here, that we may find grace, is eurisco. I can't help but thinking of the term we often use when we found something special, at least we did when I was young. Eureka! You find gold, you say, Eureka! You just go to find something, to come upon it, to hit upon, to meet with, or also in definition, after searching. And this is what I think we need to center on as its usage here. After searching, to find a thing that is sought after, in this context, grace grace how will you find grace how will you get there to this throne of grace how can we make it where only one man was able to go once a year the book of hebrews uses this term find in another number of ways but let me highlight a few in hebrews 9 verse 11 Hebrews nine eleven it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So what we just read about in Exodus, that temple, that place, that tabernacle, Jesus ministers in the one in heaven, from which the one on earth was patterned after. The perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Remember, Moses, make these veils with hands. Weave this veil. Make the acacia wood pillars. Cover the pillars by hand with gold. And even the copy you couldn't get into. But Jesus, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Even Jesus himself, when he comes into that holy place, came not empty-handed. For everything that was symbolized in the Hebrew law pointing to Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, is then administered by the perfect high priest, his sacrifice of himself, he came in with his own blood. Found. A greater tabernacle. Interestingly, this word found used of Enoch, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found. You could search for him. You couldn't find him because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In Hebrews 12, 14, we read, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which, listen, no one will see God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What do you want to find this Easter? Do you want grace? Are you worried about falling short of it? Never forget, back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest anyone seem to have fallen short of it. There is a Nadab and Abihu way of following God. Those are the two sons of Aaron that were killed dead by bringing profane fire inappropriately into the house of God. And I fear in our world today, there are many people walking around calling themselves Christians who are bringing a strange way of worship before their God and demanding grace from him without the sacrificial preparation and even the proof of their own redemption, the love of one another. Pursuing peace with all people. Well, he can't mean all people. He means the people I like. No, all people. And holiness, without which no one will see God. Reverential holiness, the high priest in his white, symbolizing purity and holiness. Only then could he walk in. How will I be holy then? How can I, and every one of you are saying in your minds, how can I be that person who has pursued peace with all people? Because you're not that person, are you? How can you come? Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, Hebrews 12, 14 or 15, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Well, if later on, when I regret it, can I cry? Will that get me close to God? Not for Esau, because he failed to believe the promise of his inheritance and so sold it for a cup of bean soup. Jesus said profound words about finding your way to God. In John 10 9, Jesus himself said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and listen and find pasture. What do sheep need? Pasture. And they need who to lead them there? A shepherd. John 10 is the shepherd, the good shepherd chapter. And a good shepherd is also a good, great high priest who leads God's people to God so that God can have mercy on them and give grace. To them. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Pastor, you've just scared me to death. I ain't going. I don't want to die. Pastor, you've just frightened me out of my socks. Why would I want to approach God now? Because without it, there's no mercy. Without approaching him, there's no grace. Our God is an awesome God. He's terrifying. But he is wondrously beneficial and delightful. You just have to come his way. Come and find grace, Christian. Grace Many of you know the definition or have some. Charis in the Greek is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. Kids, that's one you need to think about memorizing. The unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. It is God giving blessings and doing good works on behalf of his people. Have you ever had somebody come and ask you, Hey, would you, would you do me a favor? And right there, your antenna goes up, right? Because <laughs> when somebody comes up to you and says, Would you do me a favor? You know they want something for nothing. And the wise parent, when they're asked this by their child, Well, will say, well, you got to tell me what the favor is first before I decide to just give it to you. But usually the child or the person is after something, some kind of delight, some kind of thing they don't have that they can't achieve, and they need you to get it for them. And if you agree, then you're stuck. To give favors, to do something good that is even undeserved, that you know they can't pay you back for. It's not reciprocal. Okay, I'll do this good thing for you. and hey, you do it back to me. No, this favor is without you doing anything to earn it. You get the goodies. Eureka! I found gold. How'd you find it? Were you digging in the mine? Nope. How did you find it? Were you panning by the stream side? No. Nope. How'd you find it? Well, I was just walking along and I tripped over it. And I picked it up. I didn't work for it. I didn't plan for it. I didn't do anything for it. It was just there and it had a note on it said, this one's for you. God. What are you after? See, God does not show His favor, His grace, out of an obligation to you, but He gives it from His disposition to show favor to you. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The let us means, let us come boldly. It is an invitation, but it is more than an invitation. It is a dictate. You come before me, and know when you're coming, you're coming to my throne that is of the disposition to dispense to you things you do not deserve. By grace alone you have been saved, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Come unto me, you who have been saved by grace, and find it. Find it more. Find it abundantly. But you must You must be looking for it in your time of need. There was a great need on the earth when Noah lived. For every man's thought and intent of his heart was evil all the day long, Genesis 6 tells us. But then the Bible tells us Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord delivered not only him, but his wife and his sons and his daughters and anyone else who would agree to come in. But if you didn't come into the ark that God had provided as the one way through the disastrous flood, you will surely drown and die. That's called faith. A man builds a boat by the dictates of God in a country where there's no rain, And tells you it's going to rain and come in because God told him it's gonna. That takes faith. Christian, where's your faith? Do you need God? Non-Christian, where's your faith? Maybe you think you don't need God. Israel thought that. God had said, enter my rest. And Israel said, we're afraid. We've seen the promised land. We've seen the land of rest. And there's giants in it. We're not going. In Hebrews, God identifies that attitude as rebellion. God has invited. God has said, come into my rest. God has said, I will deliver your enemies into your hand. And it is faith that moves against the enemies of God. It is faith that moves into the ark. It is faith that believes in Jesus Christ as your great high priest so that you may boldly approach the throne of grace. You can only come to the throne of grace by the way of the high priestly ministry of approach. Symbolizing what the high priest did before. Once a year, Jesus is inviting you to come with him. You see, grace is a form of rest. Grace is a form of rest. Rest from physical works and rest from works of righteousness. When man sinned, he started working really, really hard to please himself before God. I will make some rules for me that God has to accept so I can come before him and have grace, get to heaven, be accepted by him. And even in this life, the physical works that we go through, the hardships and the trials and the tribulations. But worse than all of that is a works form of righteousness that, by the way, every single religion in the world, apart from Christianity, follows. They follow a system that says, if you do these things, God will let you in to the higher plane. You will achieve the state of nirvana. You will find peace. If you do these things just right. For so the poor followers of Islam, however, they're never guaranteed of anything unless, of course, they die in jihad. And then I don't know what the girls get. I don't think they get anything. The guys seem to get the things. I'm not even going to say it in church. A works Righteousness. With no guarantees. Why this on Easter? And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Mark 15. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then, listen to me. Then, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Make this veil. It shall be a divider between you and me. Once a year only dare come in and only with a sacrifice for sin. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he cried out with a loud voice, and breathed his last, God, very God, tore the temple veil asunder. And the approach that no Israelite ever knew and the way that no Hebrew could ever understand was standing open and plain before God by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And every priest in that temple knew it. And every high priest who had just sent Jesus Christ to the cross knew it had happened. And trembled. One man understood. So when the centurion, not a Hebrew, when the centurion, not a Jew, when the centurion, a Gentile, who stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. The Son of God. That is called the confession of faith that enters behind the veil with the great high priest Jesus. In Hebrews 4, we had read, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who has passed through that veil that no man on their own can cross to meet God in the temple in heaven, the heavens. You are restricted from that. It is through that Jesus went and approaches God, and you're invited to come. The veil of separation, the veil of division has been removed. Christian, do you want to find grace this Easter? find something special this Easter. Let me just give you two. Find grace for the time of physical weakness. He said, let us come that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In your time of need, brothers and sisters, you may go with the high priest. He has opened the way. He has paid the price he will enter with you. Paul was taught this in his ministry. The Apostle Paul, ostensibly the greatest apostle, we only see him get in one argument with Barnabas. That's about as bad as he gets as far as we know. Yet, in 2 Corinthians, we read this. We read that God himself had given to this great man of God a problem situation, a physical weakness. He says in chapter 12, verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Wait a minute, I thought this Christian life was supposed to be good. Just believe now, and everything's going to be great. You'll have money, friends, success, and all of that. Well, yeah, that's a lie, a lie, a double lie, a triple lie. But you will have access to God for help in time of need. And Paul says God had given him a gift. Yeah, he gave him a gift, lest he be exalted. Isn't it wonderful to know that God doesn't want you to be proud and he'll help you out of it by giving you trials in your life? Let's everybody say, thank you, God, for the trials in my life. Okay, we're a little weak on that one. A little weak on that one. But lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, the abundance of favor, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan in his flesh. What is it? I don't know. I know what it affected. His flesh. Hence my point, physical weakness. Concerning this thing, listen, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. What was wrong with Paul's faith? Isn't it if you pray by faith, papui, it's gone? Not when it's from God. There's a lesson there. Verse 9, And he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Somehow I just have to say it in the old King James Version. My grace is sufficient for you just doesn't sound right. My grace is sufficient for thee, for, listen, for, listen, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In weakness, we have a great high priest, who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he came as a man. He lived as a man. He was tempted as a man. Therefore, we can come boldly before the throne of grace being represented by a man who knows our weaknesses and find mercy and grace in time of need. And Paul found it. Therefore, he says, listen, I don't know. Come on, Christian, where are we? We are such wimps. Paul says, therefore, do we even think like this? Paul says, therefore, I most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may be upon me. Well, if strength is made perfect in weakness, Paul says, make me weak, Lord. You know what? That just doesn't sell self-help and health magazines. It doesn't do it. Nobody buys that issue. How to have more grace in your life? Suffer well. Be weak. Because we honor strength. That's been the biggest struggle of my Christian life is try to get over myself wanting to be the strongest guy in the room. And God has been faithful to buffet me. And I know he's still going to, because he ain't done with me yet. And I don't want you all to miss out on the grace. The grace that is sufficient for you. Therefore, Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities. Is that how you are in the hospital? I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. Oh, I am so glad they called me those names. Isn't that wonderful? How they slandered my name in public and before other people and drug my name through the gutter. What a pleasure. How divine. Well, see, that's exactly what Peter and John did. They went away rejoicing to be beaten for the cause of Christ. What's wrong with us on Easter. Let's get to the ham, pastor. Enough of this suffering stuff. I got mashed taters. Need mashing. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, what are you trying to find this Easter? You can find cowardice or you can find confidence. Remember, our context is entering his rest. His promise rests. The theme, the context of chapter 3, chapter 4 of Hebrews gives us two choices of entering that rest faith or rebellion, obedience or disobedience, confidence or cowardice. When these times of infirmity, when these times of trial, when these times of slander, when these times of trouble come, do you say, How could a loving and just God let this happen to me? How could he let this happen to somebody in my life? That's horrible! If he was really a loving God, if he was really a good God, this wouldn't have happened to me, and it wouldn't have happened to them neither. You've just chosen cowardice. You've just proved a lack of faith. You've just said to the high priest who says, come with me in your weakness to the throne of grace, and you said, no, I won't go. Or you can find confidence, as Paul did, and say, I have a great high priest who can sympathize with my weaknesses and is able to aid those who are being tempted. My trial has God's purpose wrapped up in it. I take pleasure. I rejoice in my infirmities Is he done yet? This is getting kind of uncomfortable in here. I'm not done yet. Find grace for time of need in physical weakness, but find grace for time of need in spiritual weakness. And for this, I take you to my favorite, because many times I resemble him, not in his good, but in his bad, good old Apostle Peter. We all know Peter as the one who denied Christ three times before the cross, according to Christ's prediction. And many times we're told, well, he only did that because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out on him. But once the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were empowered, and he did great. Well, let me tell you, that's not quite how it went. In Galatians, Peter's traveling along with Paul and Barnabas, and then some Jews show up. Listen. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. What? With the Holy Spirit? Yep. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Jews didn't eat with Gentiles. They were unclean, according to the law. Peter had been taught by God by a vision, a sheet coming down from heaven before he went to Cornelius' house. And God said to him, as he saw this sheet filled with all of the unclean animals, according to the Mosaic law, God said to him, Kill and eat. Peter said, No. God commanded him again, Kill and eat. Peter said, No, I've never touched any of these unclean things. God said, Listen to me, buster. Okay, he didn't say it that way, but he said it like this What I have called clean, don't you call unclean. Sport. Peter's still not getting it. So when some Jews came along, he. Before then, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. Listen. Fearing those who were of the circumcision. Before the cross, fear. After the cross and dwelling Holy Spirit, fear. Christians, Peter is just like you. And me, you bunch of scaredy cats. Did I just say that in church? Think about it. Where is the bold Christian? who goes against what's happening in our world, fearing those who are of the circumcision. Listen, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite. He's a leader. He leads them in fear to go against what is the unity of the church. He plays the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Not Barney, no, no the son of encouragement, Barnabas leaves the Gentiles behind only eats with the Jews and says, I'm not having ham for Easter. No way. That's against the law. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. The trend of the day is to accept LGBTQ+ without comment, cowards. Virtue signaling of the day is to accept that you're all systemically racist, except certain ones. What are we saying? Cowards. In our day, it said that there's many ways to God. And we know the one way through a high priest, Jesus. Are you a coward? Shall we admit it now? You've all been cowards like Peter. And sometimes you need somebody to stand in your face spiritually. Paul, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, in front of everybody, they pulled everybody into it, so now it's public. If you, Paul says, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, listen, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Not by works of the law. How did he get there? Fear. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You cannot approach God. You need to learn confidence. Confidence in God. You don't come boldly before the throne of grace and find the mercy you need for your own sin and the grace you need to live through the trials God's given you and the spiritual trials that are before you. You go there with Jesus. Lest you die. You have to walk with him or you'll be picked off by them. The throne of grace is available. And Peter learned confidence, but he didn't learn it just because he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He learned it in time. Christian, I encourage your heart today. You will learn it in time. I'm not giving you license to fail or license to run away scared. I am saying watch Peter. For Peter went to minister, and he went to minister to all the Jews who had been dispersed, throughout all of the Greek world. In 1 Peter, he writes and teaches us this in verse 13 of chapter 3. Peter says, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? (laughs) I'm scared of the Jews. Oh, no. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? If God be for me, right? Who can be against me? But he goes on to say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, listen, you are blessed. So, Christian, if you're suffering for righteousness' sake, what are you? Say it. Blessed. You're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Peter is learning strength but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ might be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, confidence, faith. Luke eighteen thirty one. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. That's Easter. That's Good Friday, before Easter. But then, on Easter, and on the third day, Jesus said, he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. Saying, the saying was hidden from them. They did not know the things which were spoken. You can't say that. You know why he went. So that he could enter the holy place. Offer the sacrifice for your sins and lead you into the presence of God boldly to find mercy and grace in time of need. That's an Easter message. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for afflicting your Son. O Lord Jesus, God very God, Son of God and Son of Man, blessed be your name for being the Holy Lamb sacrifice of God, for taking on the mantle of great high priest and leading all who have faith in you and your sacrifice to your Father and telling us, therefore, we can come boldly because you have made him our Father of mercy and grace. So let us as your people stand together. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer because it starts with Father. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people say it,